Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Thank you uh, so much, Sparky Johnson, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. And um, you were on here earlier this year talking about your advocacy work. And still this episode, we'll continue with that advocacy work, but as well, we'll start with Bill C-7, what that was passed, it's, which is the MAID, which is the Medically Assisted in Dying, and those impact in long-term care for the vulnerable. Can you speak to that, please? Thanks again for having me, Wendy. It's always an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with you. I'm very, very, very concerned. You know, let me start by saying that, you know, to each their own as to the rights and as to the choices uh, when it comes to Bill C-7, when it comes to MAID. The greatest concern that I have in the discussion around Bill C-7 is in seeing how it's playing out goes to the concerns that I have are relevant to so many other concerns in this world when, when bills are created. Are, I've, I've witnessed, I've watched, and I'm aware that Bill C-7, people are actually asking for it, yeah. not because their life is coming to the end in a near future, but because of the conditions and the situations that they're in around isolation, uh, visitors and families being kept out, that people are actually doing it sacrificially to free their families from the hardships, from the burdens, from the anguish that's being created. You know, we went to Niagara Falls where a 39-year-old fella asked to die. And that warranted an active protest. And I can't speak much to that personally without consent from the family, but taking what I can speak to is what is out there publicly in the news, so there's no defamation of character, is you have a family that is traumatized, is horrified, where this fella had had a daughter, you know, and the daughter gets to go in to say goodbye in a cockroach infested bed bug environment that is a, a warehousing facility for people with disabilities or excuse the expression, but there's no nice way to say dumping grounds where it's horrifying. It's scary to read the article, whether it right or wrong. It was the article that caught my attention that somebody was euthanized against their will. For me, it wasn't the against the will. It was against the will that caught my attention, but it doesn't mean I necessarily believe the article. It's the concern that it raises for me within my spirit to say that these situations are cornering people. That again, using the word sacrificially, they are sacrificing their lives or they are terrified to read the article of the woman who said, no, rather than go through another lockdown, I would rather die. But people see an older woman on the front of the paper and they go, well, you know, she's at the end of her life anyway. She lived a good life. And I said, that's not the point. The, the words that are spoken by this woman to you say, I would sooner die than go through another lockdown. You know, without COVID, would that woman have been asking to die? So now we have BLC7 
that government is wanting to fast track and implement. And of course, you know, amongst the politicians, there's divisions. And what I'm finding is there's not a whole lot of talk happening um, around the concerns. It's a division, but when you actually want to sit down with people and discuss what your concerns are, you end up against challenges and personalities where they go, well, the right to die, you know, you, you, you just pick a, pick a side of the fence. And it's like, it's not that easy to pick the side of a fence. You know, I'm a person on a teeter totter that will strive in my life to be in the middle, to be able to provide the balance to my own, my own living my own life Mm -hmm. to be able to be educational factual knowledge i was saying earlier factual and actual Mm -hmm. and respectful in being able to have conversations with people and the fast tracking is extremely concerning because it ties into so many so many different aspects that it's it's like a crystal glass or crystal vase that breaks or a beach you know the, the the specks on a beach is every speck of sand that you pick up is an addition to the topics that become intertwined into our conversation around Bill C-7. So intertwined in that, you intertwine the most recent by the, I'm not sure if it's Ontario and federal, but the consent to treat being suspended. That is horrifying, which means my concern is somebody in-house that may or may not have dementia says, I want to die. Somebody reports that. And next thing you know, somebody's gone in with a needle. My concern is that the suspending the consent to treat is going to supersede the rights of any power of attorneys or care, which means you can go off to go to the washroom. And if grandma or grandpa, mom, dad, whoever happens to say they want to die, then people can slip in there without the accountability to power of attorneys or family members and be giving needles as we know with Ministry of Health reports that are factual and actual, that when you look at them, you know, their care plans are compromised. People are either getting overdosed with medication, they're being given medication that's not approved, uh, that's not been approved by the power of attorneys or the essential caregivers or family members. And you go in and you see grandmas, you know, talking to the wall and they say, oh, well, that's dementia. And then you find out that they've been medicated. So relevant to Bill C-7, it addresses so many concerns around those that are vulnerable, that even if they have a voice, they may not have the power to stop the corporations and these facilities, be it hospitals, uh, retirement homes, profit, um, non-profit as well as profit, that who's going to be watching and monitoring to be able to, to serve and protect and stand on guard for thee, as I'm always saying. Absolutely. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. And there's been so many cases already that yes. I talked to a friend of mine and she's like, oh, don't worry, Sparky. There's a big process, a big protocol, lots of paperwork. It's not going to be that easy. And I went, how long did it take for that 39-year-old to say, I want to die? Before it hit the paper. And sadly, the impact and the trauma and the effect and the affect brings a devastation 
into an entire household under the umbrella of COVID. Yes. And talking, still continue with that line of thought, because right now we're in the third wave. There was the triage protocol that was introduced by the Minister of Health in Ontario uh, earlier this year, back in January. And how, what is your group doing in terms of, you know, trying to advocate for that in terms of a change, but as well to make sure people are aware of this particular triage protocol that's now in place? It's constant gathering of the knowledge of the facts of the research so that as I, as I will always state that we're being factual and actual, um, creating petitions, uh, seeking endorsements from politicians regardless being nonpartisan, uh, bringing the education knowledge and awareness out there to people through flyers, through posters, through um, groups online parking lot meets and greets mm -hmm. to bring the information to people, to bring the awareness and the knowledge as to what options they have, what obstacles they can encompass. Um, it's not about being pessimistic or optimistic. It's about being realistic in a time in 2021, where in 2020, you know, the, the, the light has been brought to the issues that have gone on for decades. It's a window of opportunity in the midst of a horror that is costing people their lives. So the petitions, the awareness, the flyers, the groups, the support, the peer support, the professional support, building the alliances, the letters, the protests, that virtual protests, anything and everything that can be done based on the foundation of advocacy, there's no one any better or less than the next. Some people will say, stop wasting your time protesting. To me, it doesn't matter what we're doing so long as we're doing something. I have a uh, famous line I use that I've used for years saying it's not about the outcome as it is about the action. With enough action and with the voices of the people rising up, standing up, speaking up, showing up, that in itself will bring about the objective goal of outcomes, of yes. changes, but this is not going to change overnight and we can't lose hope in any foundation. Any change is better than no change, but if people don't rise up, they don't speak up, they don't show up, they don't partake and they throw their hands up in the air feeling like there's no hope, then that's one last person Figuratively speaking, that the government needs to corrupt because they're already sided in the majority versus minority. And yeah. it's the minority that become targeted and isolated uh, as we're giving the other side of the story for the sake of education, knowledge, awareness, that it's better to be informed and have all the pieces to the puzzle than just be given one side or one way to do it is the, the endless ways that can be done in bringing this information face front in, in the midst of the horror of the COVID. Yes, definitely. And then with the law that was passed yes. in March and you were a very, your group was a very big champion for that. How have you seen now what has you know, come of that and what your group is still continuing with making sure that people are aware that this is now passed and they should not fear any uh, retaliation. 
Well, the reality and the truth to that, let me start at the end of the story, is although it's been passed in legislation and all the parties unanimously agreed, now comes the reality that the memo hasn't gone out yet. So there comes the division and the diversity on you take a small town that maybe didn't get the memo, that Bula's law has passed, comes the education to say to people, if you carry a cell phone or if you have a camera, take a picture, put it in your purse, your wallet, your pouch, your knapsack, so that you can become an educator if you end up in a situation like that at a home. Because it's not that it's not still happening. And, and there's no other way to say it other than the world has not got the memo yet. Just because something passes through legislation, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But if people have not been brought up to date or informed or given the memo, then people are going to be thinking they're doing their jobs. And it's our responsibility not to retaliate in an anger, but to educate by take, doing steps like taking a picture, taking a clip of the video. I have it, I have it on my phone. Yeah. Bula is lost so that if I encounter that, I uh, that an officer wants to give me a no trespass, I can play the video and say that is abuse of power from a corporation, from yes. a warehousing facility. I'm very well aware it's still happening. I spoke with somebody yesterday who was physically escorted out of a hospital for speaking up by two security guards, which ties into the $42 million dollars being yeah. allocated yeah. to security to keep people out for those who are having voices. If you're passive, you're compliant, you behave yourself and you go directly to the person's room, then you're good. But if you actually stop and say, hey, there's a fellow on the floor in this room and you backtrack to a nurse's station and you say, hey, I'm really concerned in room 128, there, there's a gentleman on the floor. Well, then you're looked at as a troublemaker, as a person who's going to call and bring awareness to that hospital, who might call the police, and then we're the ones that are escorted out for simply being truthful, not problematic, but addressing the problems that are happening by bringing it to the attention of those who are in the position to resolve these issues that we become challenged. So the concern with Bula's Law is it reads well, looks good, is wonderful footage. Joel did an amazing job. Maria Sardellis, God bless her. You know what? She, she fought for that, building alliances with all of us and all of our groups. We pushed for it. It all requires 500 signatures. You know, how hard can it be? Well, amazingly enough, to get a, to get a petition signed, in a world of trillions and billions, it is much more work than people think. Yeah. So with it getting passed, it took team effort, but it only took one person with a vision and a dream like Maria Sardellis to plant that seed, reach out, trust, and ask the world for help. And by asking for help in transparency to advocate for the safety and the security and the access and the ability to get in to see people, you know, yeah. thanks be, that's what I will say. 
thanks be it passed it's great but now we need to educate and we need to call upon the government to bring that education to the police departments to the training so that the abuse of power is not still happening which at this point it still is using the example of security escorting somebody out of a hospital yesterday yes yeah no thank you for that and I know yesterday, um, April 3rd, you had your protest. And right now we're in the middle of you know uh, the third pandemic. And unfortunately, there's still residents in long-term care that cannot go outside. So what are you hearing from your members? What are you, I mean, as I said, I know that you are continuing with your protests and that's what is bringing light to. Can you just speak to those? Yes, the, the, the fear is becoming more and more intense where the residents are concerned that you know i'm grateful for the information that we're receiving because it brings credibility to the mission to the calling we're using an example uh having gone to guelph and i need to also you know ensure that the credibility of the person that i'm speaking with goes back to the factual and actual. So this this woman um, sent me the information that basically their their facility has been vaccinized, they have masks, and they're not allowed to leave the property. And she told me that a memo came out from the the DOC or the, the, the facility itself. And in order for me to ensure the credibility of it, I asked her to take a picture of it and send it to me. And I have a picture of the letter where they threatened to call the police on them. And she has been told that that was a letter that went to all the residents, that they will call the police on them. They are also not in that letter threatening to evict them. I, in the last few weeks, have become aware of two evictions, one to a 94-year-old person in a home whose family member was speaking up, and another fellow who joined our protest, and his mother was evicted from the home. And it's just, it's, and the gentleman that we met, not yesterday, but the day before, who was willing to, I say, bring testimony, truth, and light as a resident to a home who all of a sudden felt the need to recant and basically said, you guys are all getting in your car and driving away. He said, I'm 86 years old. I can't be evicted and homeless. I don't have any family. And he was terrified. He said, I don't understand. If we're all vaccinated, we've all got our masks. Why are we not allowed to leave the property? And why are people not allowed to come in and visit? And there's been a couple of us specifically on that to try to gather the information from the home. And I've called twice, I called over the weekend and basically the staff answered the phone and deterred me and said, well, call on Tuesday. We don't know. And I said, well, how are you working the next three days and you don't know what the protocol is? Well, I'm from an agency. And I went, there comes another issue of bringing strangers into environments don't know the protocols, don't know the care plans. They're just told what the rules are. And then they really don't have much explanation because they're only there for eight or 12 hours. They're just told nobody goes out. You know, you call the police if they do. 
That's that's what you got to do today. Is mm. the horror that is being instilled into people under the umbrella of COVID. That is not COVID. That is taking the lives of many. That is the isolation. That is the forced feeling, as I said, sacrificially, mm. people giving their lives up to save their families, to, to not want to be a burden, to feeling lost, forgotten, and alone, and incarcerated in long-term care, where people are actually saying, wow, um, I know somebody who basically said, I, if I get to that point, I will commit a crime because I will have a better quality of life in a prison than I will in a long-term care facility. So when you're hearing people actually talking about committing crimes when they're aging they're already plotting and planning that is not covid that a virus that is killing them that is all the chaos that is coming with the 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 covid chaos i call it the destruction the lack of transparency the division the threats the intimidation the harassing the bullying the evicting the escorting people out, the giving people letters, going, that's vulnerable. That This yeah. woman happens to be 59 years old with a disability. She's 59 with a disability. The gentleman, the kid who got dropped off last week from a group home, where just, I tried oh. to get her on to the meeting, um, but she's not at the place yet fearing for her son who has a disability who's 15. He, the, the, her son was dropped off on her doorstep with two garbage bags. Had she left two minutes earlier, she wonders what would have happened. And in order to bring credibility to that story, you can go back to Vula's Law and watch the legislation and you will hear Joel Harden refer to this particular family member whose son with a disability was taken from a home, dropped off on her doorstep with no advance call, no knowledge, which has now brought fear to this woman as she's trying to get her son back into a facility that can um, look after her son. I met with a woman the other night who's fearing for her life, relevant and back tying back into Bill C-7, who has a disability where they're basically saying from a triage, if you're triaging people, and somebody with a disability comes through versus I'm going to say somebody like you or I or, you know, somebody able-bodied or 20 and fit athletic or 80 and healthy and athletic. What's going to happen to the vulnerable? Where it might be the choice, figuratively speaking, of a 90-year-old versus a 14-year-old with a disability. When they look at the bigger picture of life and going, well, from a cost point of view, who's going to cost society more? Let's eliminate those who cost. We're not worried about the ones who can sustain and maintain. We need to eliminate those who are going to be costly to the system. Yes, definitely. It, it's, you know, it, it's using the word depopulization, to me, historically, factually, with all the issues that have been for decades and decades and spoken about and addressed, we are very much in the limelight right now of where the evidence is so in the light. It is so out there with the stories 
but what it's not, what's not happening is it's not getting the attention. It's not getting the stories. It's like it's old news. And I will constantly say that old news is still new news when the fact of the history and the decades, there has been no change. The change that has come is those who are at risk have become even greater from the vulnerable to now it's seeping into the households of, of suicides, of doctor suicides, of staff suicides, of PSW suicides, kids suicide, drug overdoses, mental health, divorce, KMH. We did another facility where we did actually have a politician come out and she showed up and she said, well, what do you guys know about this? So we showed her what we knew, factual and actual. And she said, you do realize that this is a dumping ground for KMH, Canadian Mental Health Association, Ontario Works and ODSP and people who basically have no family. Mm. That was a politician. Now, unfortunately, I wish I'd known how to film that so that I could actually take the voice of a politician who spoke in light and truth and brought even more knowledge to, we didn't know that. You won't find that in the Ministry of Health. You won't find that in the newspaper. And unless you can actually get in and talk to people to find out what's going on or get in and lay your own eyes on it, then you, you don't necessarily always have all the facts. And then again, like I said, when you have information, you need to ensure that it's factual and actual. But that was just like, wow. I mean, we knew a lot, but we knew so little. Yes. And that was a home that was very, very, very hard to find um, oh. that put us in situations where being peaceful protesters, there was no place to set up other, on the, other than on the ledge of their property, which brought about the work to find out what the laws are between the road, the sidewalk and a property, which gave us, thank God, just a bit of room to be able to stand on the ledge of the property so that if police had been called, we could bring up what the laws are and say we have 33 feet from the road, that that goes to the peace. That goes to the peace that we're out to keep is, it's, it's not just about just showing up. It's about knowing what the laws are so that if we are confronted ever, that we have the stance to be able to say, this is what the laws are. And if they don't know it, then maybe it's an opportunity to enforce it. And even if they ticket it, ticket us, which fortunately we haven't been, you know, it's the education to people to say it's like a driving ticket. You drive, you speed, you sign the back, you ask for a court date. Is the government really going to want to be supporting all these people signing the back of tickets, taking money away from them? So, you know, it's yeah. finding it's finding the, the peaceful grounds where the objective goal of the messaging and the education can still get out there to people. That's thank you for that. And the other question follow up to that is, so when is your next protest? I know you do these weekly. Do you have the information? Because I can put that in our show notes so people are aware because this is going to be um, launched on Thursday. Okay, well, we will have the information as to where we're headed next come Monday night. We okay. meet every Monday night. In the meantime, between now and Monday, we do our research, our homework. We look at towns, we Google the homes, we pull up the ministry, we look for articles, we try to make connections with family members or staff that are willing to speak. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll know Monday and I can send that out to you. 
Perfect, perfect. And I'll just Fabulous, include that. Thank you. So that'd be great. And uh, lastly, I just wanted to um, bring up the fact that you, your group had met with um, Green Party leader, Anime Paul. And I just wanted you to, to speak to that as to what you brought, what you discussed with her as to the changes that need to happen in long-term care. Well, first, let me start by saying it wasn't just our groups. It was reaching out to a multitude of various individuals or as I would say leaders that have the the foundation of stability, credibility, accountability that can you know verify where they get their information, they can direct you. It was it wasn't about bringing one voice to the table. It was about bringing the various voices to the table so that the objective goal was in in having a powwow and I can say that as a First Nations Indian and I can also say Indian as an Indian. So that's how I choose to identify myself. I just like to clarify that. So there's no obstacles is bringing the voices to the table is about sitting down with a human being who is in a political position. I personally am nonpartisan. I will sit down at the table with anyone and everyone in the objective goal and hopes to be able to have a conversation and we can agree to respectfully agree to disagree. The objective goal in, in, I use the word chasing down politicians, anybody willing to speak, is so that we can have that conversation, bring knowledge, education, and awareness, bring information that they may or may not know about, and in layman terms, plant the seed so that hopeful, hopefully ongoing communication, if there's of interest to her, to a particular topic or a person, that she may want to know more about it's the the web the dream catcher where you link people all up to one another and we all stand on one planet and yes we all have our spirits and our personalities but it all intertwines and it it, it you know i'll always say the education the knowledge the awareness that in order for people to be able to be informed to make their own decision opposed to being corrupted or intimidated into decisions is my foundation is believing that people need to have all the information and be empowered, regardless of what their choice is. They need to have that information to be able to unbiasedly make their own calling as to what their spirit is calling them to do. And that's the essence of, of any gatherings is the voices being heard and there's, I use the expression, we're all teachers being students and we're all teachers being students. And if we ever reach a point where we think one is any better than the next, then for me, that's already walking in judgment, which is fine to each their own. So I'm never too old to learn. I'm never too old to teach. That to me is the gift of my life. And that's the spirit of my calling. And by anime meeting with us, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to sit down there and be able to have all these voices heard, opposed to me just independently going off down to legislation, meeting her one-on-one, -on -one, either speaking for everybody and or just speaking for myself. It was an opportunity in a world of technology, not being techno myself, to say, hey, the easier way would be to jump in my car and drive and meet her. The harder way shows the work that I'm willing to do to say, hey, all right, what do I need to do to make this happen from a techno world, from a Zoom, a virtual, so that 
I don't need to be the voices, that the voices who have the abilities can be the ones that come to the table in the roundhouse, in the circle, in the powwow, and they themselves can be heard, which fits my belief on empowering people, inspiring people, and encouraging people that they do have a voice. They do not have to go under the gag order, the threats, the intimidation, the bullying, the logistics, but finding their own spirit is going and going with it and living by it is most likely what I would identify as one of the greatest challenges living as an earthling is to stay true to what you believe in, right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not out to make friends. I'm not out for a popularity. I'm not out for the numbers on the advocacy site. I'm out to bring awareness, education, knowledge. And more often than not, people will say, oh, yeah, yeah, I tried getting them. I tried getting them. That's okay. You tried getting them. Now I'll try getting them. If I don't get them, maybe somebody else will get them. But the whole idea is, you know, as a musician, singer, songwriter, and advocate, I wrote a song probably about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, called Break the Silence. And it was had to do with other issues around advocacy on taking the borders and the barriers off you know, breaking, breaking the silence and having the transparency in this world where people can feel safe and comfortable to speak, to speak their truth and to be respected. And like I say, it's not, it's not about numbers for me. It's, you know, I, I'm a person who cannot be caged. I'm not a person who takes a side of offense. You know, basically, if you were to paint a picture of me, I'm a tightrope walker. That comes with a lot of prejudice, judgment, any of that kind of stuff. But I'm prepared because I'm very well aware of the choices that I make, that it comes with human consequences. And I'm prepared to take that. I'm not a victim. I will not be a victim. And so long as I have life, God willing, and the ability, I will you know, stand in light and truth as to what my light and truth is. But it's not about me. It's for the greater good of the population. It's not just long-term care. It's the young to the old, everybody in between, business lockdowns, taking businesses away from people, people having to sell their homes and then having to go on welfare or disability when they've worked so hard to establish it because of all the chaos that's happening. So, and it's, I really need to emphasize that it's not one group, it's a multitude, it's the world. We just happen to have, it's like a library where, you know, you got all your departments. And so it, this is attributed to everybody, not to any one particular. And there are countless that are striving. We're just all intertwined. Like I said, I believe with another group, we do petitions with the warrior advocacy. I call it the Facebook warrior advocacy crusade. You know, it's like an information site. It's non-biased. I don't handpick who can put stuff on. Um, you know, it's not a place for a football game, but anything having to do with advocacy, whether it's businesses, disabled, young, old, the world is in an extremely traumatized situation right now. The impact is so devastating. And that's the information that's not getting out there is the lives that have exceeded the 4,000 in long-term care that was public. That doesn't mean the lives stop ending in long-term care just meant that the news switched over and now we're on to the variant, the vaccination, the viruses, you know, how many and when are you getting the jab? When aren't you? And 
And for me, it's still about discussing and advocating for the vulnerable and breaking the silence back to the song that I wrote. You know, removing you. the borders and the barriers and the obstacles and the stigmas and the racism and the discrimination and everything else that comes with it and being supportive and educational and factual. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And I hope your group continues the work that they're doing yes. in regards to supporting the vulnerable, especially in long-term care. Uh, because we know that that is definitely a mixed, uh, mm -hmm. mixed uh, population. And I will take whatever information you can provide and I'll make sure to put it in the show notes for your Facebook group so people know where to go. Yes. But again, Sparky, I just wanted to thank yeah. you so much for coming on in your time. So thank you again for coming on to the Long-Term yes. Care Chronicles. And one last thing before we close out, I, yeah. I also just want to make it clear it's not just long-term care facilities. It's hospitals, retirement homes, group homes, uh, not just um, for-profit, but non-profit. Any facility that warrants it, that can be backed up by facts that are actual, that can people can do their own homework and find out that there is truth to what we are speaking. And it's really been an honor and a privilege once again, and blessings and happy Easter, if appropriate to say. Yes, thank I like you to so ask. much. I like to ask. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been absolutely. wonderful. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you very much. <laughs>